Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and I'm always on the lookout for great biblically sound resources that can help us in our battle against fear. And that's why when I learned about Grace Fox's book titled Moving from Fear to Freedom, A Woman's Guide to Peace in Every Situation, I knew I needed to bring her back on. Now, some of you might remember her from episode 63 of our Names of God series when she and I discussed how we can find peace in the God of Heaven's armies, as God is called numerous times in scripture. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do so. Grace is a career global worker and the author of 10 books, including the one we're discussing today, Moving from Fear to Freedom, A Woman's Guide to Peace in Every Situation. She's also a member of the First Five Bible Study Writing Team for Proverbs 31 and is a regular contributor to Guidepost's annual devotional, Mornings with Jesus. And we're going to add her links where you can find her on the internet in the show notes. Today, she's going to be sharing some practical ways we can experience the peace of Christ no matter what we're facing or experiencing. Well, Grace, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me again, Jennifer. And I know this is a subject that you're passionate about, that you've done a lot of research and prayer into. And I, you talk about, in your book, you talk about destructive fear and how that can hinder us emotionally and spiritually. So I would love to hear more about just what you've discovered about that. Mm-hmm. Maybe just for a second, I'll touch on two types of fear. One is healthy, one is unhealthy fear. And healthy fear is what steers us towards wise decisions and actions, and it promotes self-preservation. So we don't want to step out on the street without looking both directions for traffic to see if a car is coming, right? That's a healthy fear. Unhealthy fear can hinder our ability to make decisions, and it's what can cause stress and sleeplessness and And it can fully prevent us from embracing God's purposes for our lives. And so when we talk about destructive fear, that is that unhealthy fear. Um, Destructive fear can uh, show up like emotionally. Um, For instance, if there's a fear of rejection, we might just feel like uh, we, you know, people aren't going to accept us for who we are. And so say we're struggling with some pretty hard issues in our life. If we are already afraid that people are going to reject us, that's going to hinder us from admitting to anybody that we're struggling with a particular negative issue. Uh, It might be abuse in the past of some sort. It might be struggling with pornography, a secret sin. So if we're afraid people are going to reject us, how likely are we to admit that we're struggling with something like that? That's destructive fear. Yeah, wow. That's... and. A good reason why we need to kind of get to the roots of of what we're fearing and what's really going on with us internally. Well, I know you faced, well, I know just being a missionary too, that you faced numerous, probably frightening circumstances, but I know there was one in particular involving your newborn daughter. And I know, so I'm a mom and that's it. 90% of my anxieties 
probably surround my my daughter and she's a great kid so for you know that's just the way i think we moms can be wired or or humans can be wired towards our loved ones but i would love to hear about the situation and really what you learned through that okay so my husband and i were working with a nonprofit faith-based organization in nepal back in the 80s we'd only been married 5 months when we landed there we had our, our first child was born there and things were okay. Second child was born there, but things were not okay. So um, we had lived in a little mud and rock hut with a grass thatch roof, no electricity, no running water for the first couple of years. I suffered from significant culture shock and I am not a, a, a fantastic linguist. So I struggled with language learning as well. But I came through to the point of saying, okay, Lord, do you want us to spend the rest of our lives here? I'm willing. I'm willing to do that. It took me two years to get to that point. And shortly after reaching that point, and I mean within weeks, he moved us from living in the village to living at a hospital compound where the kids were born. Now I suddenly lived in a concrete house with glass windows and I had electricity. I had running water. And three months after we moved there, our second child was born. She was born with a condition called hydrocephalus. That's too much water on the brain. So she was born with a massive head. Um, everybody has cerebral fluid in their head. It's produced there. And in a healthy person, it's recirculated through the, uh, up in the spinal column, the neural tube in the spinal column. But hers was blocked somewhere as she was being developed in my womb. And so that cerebral fluid had nowhere to go. So her head got bigger and bigger and bigger. As a result, I delivered her by C-section. So that was on a Tuesday. On um, The doctors immediately, like they took one look at her and they said, whoa, we can't help her here. You need to go back to North America on the first available flight. And they suspected that she had other things wrong, like something was wrong with her heart, but they couldn't determine that for sure because they didn't have the equipment there. And so Wednesday, my husband tried to get airline tickets for us to get home on the first available flight back to North America, which was to be Friday. When the airlines found out that I had had a C-section and that this baby was less than two weeks old, they said, we don't want a child less than two weeks old on board. And we don't want anyone who's had a C-section on board recently because she is a, a medical high risk. And so they refused to issue a ticket for me. And my husband came back to the house and he told me that. And I remember just bursting into tears and saying, what are we going to do? Because if we can't get home, she's going to die. My husband, I remember, just kind of held me in, my, in his arms. And he said, he said, um, I will take her home. I'll figure this out. I will take her home. So the next day, we did a 12-hour trip by Land Rover. Uh, a midwife traveled with us and my mother-in-law who'd arrived just two days before Stephanie's birth because she was going to come and help with the new grandbaby, you know? So she was in the Land Rover with us as well. And I laid on the floor that whole 12-hour journey just because I was in pretty rough shape. And um, we got to Kathmandu, so went to a missionary guest house and immediately the guest house hostess came running out and she just said, this baby needs a passport. There's a, a little photo studio staying open in town. They're waiting for you. So my husband and the midwife took the baby and went to this photo studio to get her picture taken. That was Thursday night. Friday morning, my husband had to take the photo to the embassy and get a passport for this child. And when he did that, an American doctor at the guest house took Stephanie to a mission hospital there in the city. He put a syringe down into the ventricles of her brain and withdrew 40 cc's of fluid 
just to ease the pressure on her brain for the trip home. And a doctor did that on the day she was born and withdrew 60 cc's of fluid. So that just tells you that's a lot of fluid. But uh, when, when the doctor was away with Stephanie, another nursing mom at the missionary guest house and myself expressed milk into a Playtex nursing bottle and gave enough milk for one bottle for Jean to take with him. Uh, so when Jean came back, the doctor returned, I nursed Stephanie one more time. We prayed together. And then I said goodbye to my three-day-old daughter, not knowing whether I would see her alive again or not. Jean just wrapped her in a blanket. And the doctor said, anybody asks you how old she is, just don't don't engage in conversation because they can put the plane down for this. And um, <clears throat> Jean would just do that. If anybody said anything about, wow, she's tiny, isn't she? He just said, yeah, she is. And he just kind of avoid conversation. That was before 9-11. This never would have happened after 9-11, but it did back then. And so Jean brought the baby back to Seattle and just so happened that he had a cousin who was a part owner of a radiology department in Tacoma, Washington at the point. He made arrangements for Stephanie to go directly into a neonatal intensive care unit in Tacoma. And, um, and then Jean took over kind of, you know, as the parent there, well, I was left behind. I flew back a week later. But I remember after saying goodbye to my daughter, laying there on a bed at that guest house and just crying because I, we had had an interview with a career mission agency one week before Stephanie was born. My heart had come to that place of wanting to stay in Nepal for the rest of my life. And now God had just sent us home. And we had, we had a perfect storm swirling about us because we had a baby in a NICU ward of an American hospital. We had no job to come home to. We had no home. We had no car. We had no health care insurance. The sending agency that we were with had, had given up their health care insurance just a few months prior because they owned some real estate. And they said, if one of our people has a problem, we'll just sell off some of that real estate to help out with the bills. So we had we had nothing basically to come home to, but we just saw this time that we were going to go through now with a baby in the NICU ward and where was that going to put us? So I remember just laying there and crying and saying, God, what is this about? And I didn't, I, I didn't say why me or what have you done? I didn't say anything like that, but I prayed God, what is it that you want me to learn in the middle of this? What is it? And into that moment, he put the lyrics of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And so I, I remember growing up with that hymn in church. And, and those, those words started going through my mind. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with you. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. I remember laying there and letting those lyrics wash through my mind. I didn't feel at all like singing, but I started to sing because I knew that I had to cling to the truth. That was the only thing that was going to get me through this storm. I needed to remember the truth. And the truth was, no matter what happened, whether my daughter lived or died, no matter what her quality of life looked like, God would be faithful to see us through. That was the truth. And that's what I had to cling to. So my daughter, Stephanie, went through a couple of years of really, um, really hard stuff, like about a dozen surgeries during that time. And she is now in her mid-30s. She still has a few neurological 
issues and, and some chronic health troubles, but she is a walking miracle. She's doing well, been married 14 years, and she's now a financial coach for people struggling beneath a load of consumer debt. And uh, we just praise God every day for how he spared her life and has walked with her. But through that whole thing, I learned that what we believe to be true about who God is makes all the difference as to how we're able to face those things that just throw fearful thoughts our way. When I love how you intentionally focused on those things and, you know, you'd said you didn't feel like singing, but it sounds like you made a choice. Like you could sit here and, and really get caught up. I think it's so easy to get, to let our thoughts just get, go stronger and stronger and stronger in the fear. And, and for you to redirect to something that was so foundational to your to your, to your life and your soul. It sounds like that you'd kind of grown up with that song. And so it had played a a big piece into your formation. It did. I don't know, Jennifer, if you recall a little poster, but uh, there was a poster years ago with a kitten hanging. His little body was just hanging straight down, but it's, it's claws. It's little paws were around the knot of a rope. So the rope was hanging down. There's a knot at the end and it's little claws were embedded in that knot. And it said something on the poster about, um, uh, you know, just hanging on, hanging on, clinging to the knot. And I feel like that, uh, that's what I was doing at that time in my life was I was that little kitten. That poster was me. I was that one hanging on for dear life to the truth. That knot was the truth. And that was just the thing that was keeping me from falling into despair. You know, and that brings up a really good point. We need to know the truth if we're going to really stand firm on it. And and I think sometimes we think we don't have time to read our Bibles or we don't have time to really, you know, maybe go to church now that COVID is kind of changing or watch online. We can let that slide. But it was those foundational things that got planted into your soul that really carried you. And you suggest in your book about, you suggest focusing on God rather than the fear. And I know that praise, like you just shared, that was a big part of that, but what are some other ways? So somebody who feels like, okay, my thoughts are feeling so out of control. This situation is so beyond me. How can they begin to shift their focus and maybe keep their focus? Cause I don't know about you, but my mind can kind of ping back and forth <laughs> a lot of times. So, so what would you say to someone that they're just really battling and maybe they're even just battling ongoing anxious thinking? Mm-hmm. One of those things would be to take and write out a scripture promise on a recipe card, a three by five card and, and just carry it with you or stick it on your fridge or on the bathroom mirror, wherever you're going to see it often. So that when those fearful thoughts start coming, you can just pull that card or you can see it right there and uh, even, even if it's on the dashboard of your vehicle, wherever it is in, in your, you know, in your eyesight, uh, a scripture promise about God's faithfulness. It might be something like uh, Joshua 1.9 promises that God will be with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. You know, a scripture verse like that of God's presence with us and just keep it handy. Another one would be to um, fill your home with praise and worship music. Because that, too, can help to direct our thoughts and um, to, to steer it away from the fear 
into the truth of who God is. Another one is to make a little altar of remembrance. So this might be a shelf, or if you're into uh, journaling to write things down, or if you're into scrapbooking to make a scrapbook. But what this is, is a, a visual remembrance to celebrate God's faithfulness in some way. So say you have a little shelf. You might want to buy an ornament that reminds you of a time when God answered prayer on your behalf, where he came to your rescue in some way. Uh, like I have a friend who, who was driving down the road uh, several years ago and kids were smaller then. child in a back seat didn't have a seatbelt on. And as they were going around a curve, just opened the, opened the door and this kid went flying out of the car. Now, it was an absolute miracle that the child was not seriously injured or wasn't run over by a car behind them. That child was spared. And so that family went out and bought a little, a little glass angel and put that up on their altar of remembrance. Every time they looked at that little glass angel ornament, they remembered how God spared that child's life. And so that's, that's one way, though, to just to keep visuals before you of God's faithfulness. He's been faithful in the past. He's not going to change now. He will continue to be faithful in the present. Another one is, a, um, call, it a, call it a mantra, if you want. I'm going to adopt that term. And I'm going to say, have a little phrase that you can think and recall to mind when fear starts coming. My little phrase is, I will trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. And that, when I think about that, and I think about how my trust is placed in the Lord, that helps to just ooh, bring down my anxiety level. And it, it works for me. Um, another one, here's another one that I found helpful is, you can think, what if? Because so often our, our brains will entertain the what if thoughts, but that just works up our fear. So instead of saying, what if this happens? Think, even if this happens, God will be faithful. Even if this happens, God will still be with me. Even if this happens, God is able to take the worst case scenario and turn it into something of beauty. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
So when you were talking about remembering a phrase, there's a woman in Holy Love Ministries has a private online group on Facebook. And we are talking about just anxiety and dealing with anxiety. And she had mentioned how helpful slowing our breathing down can be. And she practiced a phrase where it was be still and know, know that I am God. And so she would breathe in on be still and she would hold and know, and then she would exhale that I am God. And I, I tried that a few times when I was in a particularly anxious situation and it did, it just helped kind of slow me down. I think slow me down. And then I was also thinking of when you mentioned the altar of remembrance, how, when you practice that, do you think that helps you also become more alert to God's hand that we might otherwise miss? It does. It totally does. And, you know, scripture talks about remembering what God has done in the old Testament. God would take the people back. He would command them to recall what he had done in the past and And just recalling helps to build those tracks deeper in our own brains. And so uh, we need to do the same thing. And having those little ornaments helps us recall. It's just a visual to help us recall, whether it be a scrapbook, like I said, or whether it be in writing, whatever works for you, do it. And Jennifer, I want to go back. You, You mentioned the word exhale. I love it. I am so glad you said that because just a couple of weeks ago, I was just having a quiet time and I just sensed the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go, go and get on your knees before me. And I've walked long enough with the Lord to know that why argue when he speaks so definitively, there's no use in arguing. And I live on a sailboat. So there's precious little space on a sailboat for privacy. I, I went into the front berth. There is a little area rug on that floor and I, I went down on my knees on that. It's barely big enough then for me, for my body on my knees to accommodate that. But that was my space. And I closed the door behind me so I could have privacy. I just sat there in that kneeling position for a few moments. And to me, that's just that position of surrender where I am on my knees before God who sits on the throne. And I think it's a dress rehearsal for someday we'll sit on our knees kneel before him on the throne. But I just said, what is it? What, what is it you want to say to me? And I heard the word exhale. So I thought about that. And then I thought, exhale, what, what is it about exhale? And then it's like the Holy Spirit told me what to exhale. And it was, okay, you're worried about your daughter's health. Exhale your concerns about your daughter's health right now. So I did. I took a deep breath in, deep inhale, and then I I just exhaled that concern for my daughter's health. And when that was done, I heard it again. It was exhale your concern about your son-in-law. You see, my son-in-law is a fourth-year medical student who's assigned to an intensive care unit right now in a hot spot for like a COVID hotspot. So the hospital is full of COVID patients and he's in there. He's married to my daughter who has a two-year-old and a three-month-old. And so, you know, exhale your concern about your son-in-law and your daughter and your grandchildren. So I took that deep inhale and then I exhaled that concern. So it was one after another, the Holy Spirit brought to my mind those things 
that I'd been carrying without even realizing the extent to which I'd carried them. And I, I realize that sometimes we pick up weight of concern, the weight of fear that God's never intended us to carry. And sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. That's what I realized that morning. And as I exhaled one thing after another, after another, it was literally, Jennifer, like this weight just lifted off my shoulders. I felt a weight lift. It was, it was like, you know, Matthew 11, 28, 29 and 30. Those verses come to life where Jesus says, if any of you are, are weary, if you are heavy laden, carrying burdens, come to me and I'll give you rest. And I thought, wow, it's like he just took that burden right off me as I was able to give it to him. He wants us to give him our fears so that he can carry them for us. That's awesome. You know, I actually, would you mind just really briefly maybe leading us in kind of that breathing, just that, that maybe our sure. listener can just take, even if it's like what, 30 seconds and just right in this moment to exhale, whatever God is asking them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I would just say like heavenly father for our, for our listeners today, would you, as they stop, as they stop in silence, in your goodness and your faithfulness, would you speak into their thoughts whatever it is that they need to give to you today? May they inhale that deep breath, acknowledging that concern. And now help them to exhale, just to exhale completely that fear, that concern, that worry, that thing that's causing them angst. And then do it again. Inhale as the Holy Spirit brings that thing to mind. And now exhale. Just exhale and give it to Jesus. Father, I pray for our listeners as they go through this very practical exercise. May you bring to mind one by one by one those things, those weights that they have picked up that you've never intended for them to carry. And may they exhale and give them to you. Just give you those weights for you to carry. May they accept that invitation to rest. Come to me. Father, may we learn to come to you and to let you carry those things that burden us down, those things you've never meant for us to bear. We ask that. Help us learn this, Jesus. And we thank you in advance for how you will teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That was awesome. Thank you so much.
You said we often will give up in situations because we lack a proper understanding of God. And I think that's probably pretty foundational as well. If we're giving all of these things to him, right. Mm -hmm. To to our need to understand him, but I would love for you to unpack that a little more. I think that if we truly, truly had a solid understanding of who God is our fear would be banished forever. Like, okay, I'll just say last night, my husband and I actually just laid on our backs on our sailboat because uh, as we tape this, we're out cruising on British Columbia's coast. So last night we were in a little, a little harbor with no, there's no street lights out there. There's nothing like that to hinder us from seeing the stars as they are in the sky at night. So we laid on our backs and just watched the sky. We saw stars shooting across the heavens. We, we saw the Milky Way and we saw different constellations. It was incredible. As I laid there last night, looking at the sky, all I could think about was how David said, who am I that, I, that you are mindful of me? When I look at the night sky, when I see the stars, I think of the heavens, who am I that you're mindful of me? And as I laid there last night, looking at the heavens, I thought of the God who put those stars in place and calls them all by name. Is that incredible or what? This God who put the stars in the heavens and calls them all by name is the one who created us, who wove our chromosomes in place and our DNA, who knows the number of hairs on our head. He's the one who gave us the number of days in our life who knows when we get up out of bed in the morning and who knows when we go to bed at night who knows the words that are going to roll off our tongue before we even speak them this is the god who loves us this is the god who knows every detail of our lives and and when things happen they're no surprise to him because he's involved in every detail of our lives So when I think about this God who put the heavens in place and who holds us in his hand, why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? So I just think of that. And I want to encourage the listeners to to think about that, to go out at night and look up at the heavens and remember that this God who put those heavens in place is one who holds us in the palm of his hand and who loves us so very much. If we truly understood the might, the power, the wisdom, the knowledge of our God, I think our fear would be banished forever. Amen. Well, that's a great place to actually to end today's episode on. Those are great words for us to contemplate as we as we kind of leave what we've been listening to today. Thank you so much for joining us, Grace, and thank you all for listening. I hope this encouraged you and gave you some things, maybe some new things to try. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe and then you won't miss a single episode and please rate it. That encourages us and it also helps others to find it. Make sure to share it with your friends as well. Until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. 
To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.